Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to your dog's best life. We have multiplied since our last uh, get-together. We have added a a new person with us this week. Um, and so I will let Leanne introduce her because Leanne knows her and I met her uh, approximately five minutes ago. So she can do a much better <laughs> introduction than I can. Well, hopefully I'll get the name right. This is my goal. This is where I'm putting the bar. Can I remember everybody's name? So <laughs> um, this is Maggie. She's actually a great friend of mine and amazing dog trainer. And she's going to kind of be the spare tire dog trainer when we uh, when Emily and I can't get together on a given week to do the podcast, the idea is that we actually want to theoretically put the podcast down once a week so there's some sort of level of continuity. There's no guarantee that'll happen. So when Emily and I can't geek out, uh, Maggie and I will geek out. And then probably once Maggie finds out how, or Emily finds out how cool Maggie is and vice versa, they will probably geek out behind my back. And so we'll probably have multiple variations of geekery going on. So we just want to introduce Maggie so that everybody knows who's who. And then they can instantly forget like I will. So uh, we are going to introduce Maggie. And the first thing we're going to do is say, hi, Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Well, hi. And we're and going to we're say, say, so we're going to kind of introduce the same way we, we did with Emily and myself. And just kind of have you go over kind of your history and how you ended up at this, at this low point, point in your life, life where you're a member, member of our, of our podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I, you know, I started training when I, I in college. So I, I never was going to be a dog trainer, you know, and I'd never even done, done training at all. We, we'd had dogs growing up. We were in a Boston Terrier and Pug home. So we, we grew up with Boston Terriers, but, but they weren't trained. I mean, they were awful. Really? No, really? Way. no way. You're kidding. kidding. Yeah, you'd never guess, right? <laughs> Terrible pugs. Um, so so in, in college, I, um, I did uh, some volunteer work with uh, the Humane Society in Utah and the Ogden Animal Shelter there. Um, and I started getting into training. And originally, I was going to go into nonprofit. And I, I knew I maybe wanted to do some kind of shelter work, but I wasn't entirely sure. And I, I got introduced to the world of dog training, and I, it was it was amazing to me. I mean, it was it was so much more beyond just sit or down, and, yeah. and I had no idea. I mean, this blew my mind, absolutely blew my mind. And as I continued, I thought, well, huh, maybe I want to do that, and that's kind of where it started. And now, 18 years actually since that that first internship at the the Humane Society, here I am training. So. Uh, I started at, uh, so, so I, I started at the Humane Society, so I started in shelter, and then I moved on to PetSmart and started doing, uh, you know, after college I did what they call kind of like the district manager of training. So I managed the stores and trained the trainers and, and got a lot of experience, actually. That, that was a great, um, a great 12 years. <laughs> it's a long time there. <laughs> Um, and then moved on to getting my own business. I uh, did that for a little while, and then I decided that I wanted to go back into shelter work. So here I am. So I'm behavior manager now for a, a pretty small shelter in the Bay Area. They have two locations, and they're at risk. They pull from at-risk shelters, so a lot of the dogs we get are on the, the euthanasia list. They're... Um, you know, a lot of times they do have some pretty serious behavioral issues, but we have a strong behavioral team. 
here. Four members strong. We're just about to bring on a fifth. So for a um, for a shelter, and it is a private shelter, but we, we kind of have an, an awesome behavior and training staff. So we're very fortunate for that. And here I am, I guess. So oh, Maggie, cool. <laughs> Maggie, what what drew you back to shelter medicine versus private training? Was there a was there a preference, or was it just kind of the way the world spun, or like what took you back where you started? The business was really successful. It was too successful. It, it blew up really fast. I, I was offering all kinds of unique classes and. We were offering a um, really unique type of daycare. It's kind of like a, a play school format. So it was kind of like a, a board and train, like a day train program, uh, but with, with open play too. So that, that just got too big too quickly. And it was just too much. I mean, it got to a point where I was working 100 hour work weeks. And I thought, you know, I want to work for somebody else, but do I really want to train with, you know, under, I, I, I was, conflicted. You know, I like working for myself. I like being independent and having my own business. So I thought, you know, the next best thing would to go into shelter. And I started as a behavior specialist and just a few months later was promoted to, to manager. So it's, um, and it's fun. You know, I like working on projects. I, I always have innovative ideas for, for things that I want to do. Um, like right now we're actually working on a, um, we, we, unfortunately, unlike Tucson, do not have a strong pet partner's presence in the Bay Area. Um, there, I think there's maybe one trainer who really has any prep classes that I've been able to even find. And so we're starting an in-shelter therapy dog program. So, so I'm interested in things like that. So it worked out. It worked out okay. I, I, I can hook I, you, I can up. you up. Mm. <laughs> I think I finally did uh, figure out the pet partner's um, contact. I know, a guy. I, I know a guy. I know a guy. She knows people. You know a guy. Perfect. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, what when in your in your shelter training world, um, are you training the dogs that are currently waiting to be adopted? Or are you offering training classes for dogs that have recently been adopted? What's your what's your, what's focus, your focus there? there? Uh, right now, we offer behavioral support and training for the animals in shelter. Um, in the next few months, we will be doing an in shelter training program. So that that's in the works. We actually just found and rented a space that we think will work really well. Um, so we're working on that. But right now, we provide support in shelter. So what are you seeing, um, and, and yes, this is a loaded question because, you know, we've just met and I thought it would be, <laughs> I thought it would be nice to take it easy on you. Um, what are you, what are you seeing as like the major behavior issues coming in with, with shelter dogs these days? What are you, like, if you had your top three behavior issues, what would you say they are? Oh, see, see, that's tough um, because we're pulling animals with known behavioral issues. Um, and it, I, I don't know if you know, but California and Texas are one of the highest for euthanasia rates. So we're pulling from some of these shelters where, you know, sometimes we, we get dogs who are on the list that are wiggly and loose and happy-go-lucky and well-socialized. But typically, uh, we're taking uh, very under-socialized dogs. So I would say, I mean, 
gosh, there's a number of different behavioral issues, but I would say the, the key component here is these dogs have not been socialized. You know, a lot of them have just lived their lives in the backyard or in and out of shelter life. And so these, these dogs don't have a lot of confidence. Uh, they come in really afraid. Actually, today, before I was running late for this, because... I just uh, did a shelter run and I picked up a dog who, um, as soon as we got to the shelter, wouldn't even come out of the kennel. You know, it was so terrified and we needed to get a vet exam that I just needed the dog to have a day or two to decompress and we don't push it. So we're going to spend a day or two in the shelter before going to foster. But, you know, I, I would say for our shelter, and I can't speak for other shelters, but for our shelter, we're taking a lot of dogs that are... Um, are very difficult for other shelter, you know, public shelters, we're private shelter, but public shelters to be able to, to handle that, you know, would normally be euthanized because of, of handling issues. And what, do you have a, a sense of what your success rate is as far as taking these dogs with these issues and getting them successfully adopted into homes that can manage or work with those issues? So we have two different shelters and we have, I mean, we have a huge foster network. So, you know, one thing we'll do if the dog is, is really struggling, we'll place them in a home and that's where our behavior team comes in. So we'll write them out a plan and we'll work very closely with the foster so that they are able uh, to get out to a home. But um, we are a, um, we're very, we are considered no kill, uh, but that doesn't mean we aren't, uh, no euthanasia. So in extreme cases, uh, we will euthanize. We recently had a, a neurological case, um, and he was a medical case as well that had been hit by a car and had some, some really bad spinal damage. And so um, if there ever is a case that we're not able to rehabilitate, we'll meet by committee, and every single member of the committee has to agree uh, after we've tried everything else. Or, or if we, we can see that the animal is, is clearly suffering, but I, gosh, I don't even know if I could put a, a percentage. You know, I would say, you know, 0 0.003. I mean, it's such a low percentage. It's so rare uh, that we aren't able to successfully place an animal. So that, that helps answer your question a little. Yeah, I was just, I, I'm always curious because I've, that's not an area that I've ever worked or had to deal with as far as behavior issues go. Um, I'm always curious, you know, how many... How many of the cases are, you know, just under-socialized, they need that slow kind of remedial introduction to life, um, and how many are, like, true, like, this requires a very specific home with very specific management skills, and, you know, how many of those are, we're seeing this behavior because they're in an unfamiliar setting um, and a higher stress setting and so I just I don't have any frame of reference for that so I was just curious I generally run hugely pessimistic and and assume most <laughs> of the dogs that come through the shelter are are you know hard luck cases so I, from yeah, somebody yeah. who comes from private practice like yourself, I mean, it's it's a, a whole different world. It, it really yeah, yeah. is. I yeah, mean, I, I completely, completely believe that. that. 
It, it is completely different. Um, and a lot of our, I mean, gosh, a lot of what we do do as a behavior team is offer that foster support because it's true. I mean, they do need to be in that right scenario. You know, if, if we get a pet home that we, we, we aren't able to handle, you know, say, say they come into the shelter and, you know, maybe they'll take a couple treats, but we haven't even gotten an evaluation in because we can't get close to the animal. Um, well, maybe after a couple of days, the dog approaches us, but they're still a little unsure. Um, obviously, there's going to be a huge difference between a home and a shelter environment. And so the, the behavior, I mean, we can just evaluate the behavior that we're seeing in the shelter. And, and I'm sure you guys can do the same if you think about your own dogs and how, what their behavior might be like if you were just to drop them off at the shelter. And maybe they would be okay, um, but they might be very frightened. And especially if they were in the standard shelter environment, some of the shelters that we pull from are, are rough. I mean, you know, these, these you know, makeshift uh, PVC pipe type kennels. I mean, just really low funding. Um, a lot of times the staff isn't trained. Uh, they've been mishandled. You know, I've had shelter workers on runs um, scruff puppies uh, and adult dogs and, and oh shove God. them into my arms. So you're talking about people who aren't highly trained. Um, so they're having a bad experience there in the shelter after, after you know, losing everything that they know. Either they're an owner turn in or they're astray, and they come to us. And so, you know, we can evaluate. We can make sure that they're safe. Um, but we really don't have a, a clear idea until we get them in a home. And for some of our animals, it is a very hands-off experience. So it may be set up a dog room and the dog goes into the dog room and the dog is not to be touched for several days. You can change the food, but you're going to take your time. You're going to turn your back. You're going to toss some treats. Um, we're not going to push interactions. We're going to leave that choice to them. Let them um, initiate all interactions and see how it goes. Um, so we do have those, not all of those, you know, it's not every case we take, but we do, we do get somewhere. We're, we're just not able to get a clear read in the shelter and they've got to go in a home for us to, to really see what's going on along with, you know, we, we work with many specialists. So we try to make sure if we need a specialist, you know, if we think there's something more going on that our vets aren't, um, equipped to, to deal with or diagnose, they, they move on to our specialist clinic, but you know, sometimes it's just some time in the home to see what we're really dealing with. So Maggie, cause you and I, we've talked, um, well, we talked like about the neurologic, neurologic case. We went back and forth on that and we've kind of consulted over the phone with cases. I go to Maggie for my disastrous cases and then Maggie comes to me with her disastrous cases and we hold hands <laughs> long <laughs> distance. <laughs> and uh, it's it's fascinating because of course you know I'm seeing one type of case and she's seeing a different type of case because of course I have owned pets that I'm dealing with. So um, my question is is when you're when you're dealing when you're faced with a case, let's say you're faced with this Chihuahua we were talking about this morning or this afternoon. You know what kind? What do you? Where do you start? Where do you start with these? extraordinarily fearful dogs probably under socialized maybe have a bite history or about to get one if they're not handled properly um how, where do you start and kind of uh, how do you how do you move on from that place so that the dog has a chance and it's not in your shelter for a hundred thousand years and finally gets out to a home so um it's, it's always good to have a little bit of time to decompress so you hate to push them too quickly 
So in the case where, you know, it, it really starts with, um, with meeting the people. So when I go to the show, so the example with my, my Chihuahua today that I went out, I made sure to seek out the volunteer that she was the most comfortable with. So I wanted to see what she had already been in the shelter for actually not very long, for about four days. So normally when we're taking dogs, um, you know, we, they're not, um, you know, owner turn in and we're dealing with them on that very first day. Um, we're, we're talking about dogs who have been in the shelter for several weeks or maybe even a month um, where they're, they're really not, nobody's really interested or the staff isn't really able to make any progress. So I first want to talk to the staff and just see where we're at. And in this Chihuahua's case, um, she could be handled, though she didn't take any treats. She had, she had not taken treats in the past four days from the, uh, the volunteer, though she did take some in the presence of the volunteer. So it's nice for the dog to have um, that familiar face when I'm doing um, an evaluation. I like to move very, very slow, let the dog come up to me. We're not a big fan of these traditional intake tests. Um, th there's a lot of some, some really old school, just like we have with training, but some really old school um, type of intake evaluations where you know, they're, they're using the rubber hand and poking at the dog and picking up the food dish and putting it down and having them walk past reactive dogs and, and see how they respond. And so a lot of times the intake process is nearly as stressful as being <laughs> dropped off in the first place. I mean, say, I'm sure they awful. all respond with aggression. That's how I would respond. Oh <laughs> you wouldn't believe the dogs that, you know, have been evaluated as dog reactive and we'll bring in a neutral dog and we don't have an issue at all. Yeah. So it's, it's actually... You know, that's part of the battle is sometimes these dogs are um, labeled as, you know, just untouchable and serious behavioral issues. And we get in and it's just a normal dog. <laughs> it's a nervous dog. They're in the shelter. They're surrounded by barking, you know, loud dogs and staff that don't know what they're doing and really violating their their space. But I was going to say that that last bit is probably what gets them labeled inappropriately that staff that doesn't know what they're doing situation um we want to start offering support for our partner shelter so we want to start coming in and you know buying them lunch and doing some workshops on on just you know decompression and, and giving the dog a little bit of time you know it's it's it, i'm sure it's that uh leanne you've had the same experience working in the in the vet field where you get you know a co-worker going uh, i'm not going in that room i can't touch that dog mm -mm, not gonna happen yeah. forget it and then you just walk back with the dog on the leash and they're like how did you do that i just walked in and i took the dog and we're, we're gonna go do the thing now that's how i did it like i yeah. don't know i don't know what to tell you yeah absolutely actually and i'm gonna do a little aside so we we hired you'll like this because this is kind of funny and you, Emily, have probably seen this as well. You know, there are cat vets and there are dog vets. There are <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there are livestock vets. So, and that, sh that doesn't say what they treat. That says where they come from. And, you know, so you got the kind of good old boys who came from Nebraska and wherever, and they've spent their youth, you know, wearing muck boots and in mud and sticking their hands up cow asses. And then you've got the folks who are really into dogs. And then you've got the people who are really into cats. I mean, they're really into cats. They're the ones who totally cat. And, you know, they come to the hospital. And I remember we hired, we hired two back to back. And I was like, okay, we're never doing this again. And she loved cats. She just loved them. 
she there was not a dog in the building that did not want to eat this woman i mean she threw out some vibe of maybe she was a cat and every dog she met yeah we would say oh you know the dog because i'd go into the room you know do a tpr do the whole temp respiration pulse tpr t temp pulse respiration do a tpr get the history on the dog blah blah, blah. pet the dog what have you handle the dog get an, I, I kind of suss out do we need a muzzle do we not need a muzzle all of that stuff and then i come out of the room I'm like oh it's fine you know it's just a little just a little timid just go slow don't approach let the dog come up to you you know the normal things and she'd come flying out of that room 30 seconds after she <laughs> entered <laughs> with the dog like ripping at her scrubs <laughs> trying to eat her and I, it's like this magic ability to piss off every dog she came in touch with it was it was a superpower um not a good superpower but a, a super <laughs> a superpower anyway so i just thought i'd give that little story anyway i don't know yeah. where it went <laughs> but you know you know it's funny is that i think probably as the years went on, one of the things I learned as a tech, like when you first start off as a baby tech, you want to be that one that can handle all of the animals, all of the cases, whether they're aggressive or scared or whatever. You're just, you want to be that super person, oh, yeah. You're super the stud. tech. Yeah. Yeah. And I hit like 30, 33, and I started going, mm, you know, maybe not. <laughs> and then. Definitely by the time I hit like 35, 36, I would walk into a room and the dog would look at me and I would look at the dog and I'd go, you know what? Don't even worry about it. And I would turn around <laughs> and walk back out and be like, nope, nope, this one's not mine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Maggie. <laughs> Well, and honestly, you know, I think part of that too, Maggie, this plays to what you were saying is the more you're around dogs and the more you start to learn their language and learn the subtleties of behavior, the more you can just go like, no, we, we don't, we don't have it. Whatever's going on between me and this animal, it's not working. And if I force it, it's not going to work for anybody and it's, it's going to end badly for one or both of us um, and I think being able to provide that skill to um, shelter workers too can be really really useful yeah and, and it's a really neat moment when they finally do open up but you've, you've got to move slow I mean you've just got to be able to read the dog and know when they're ready and sometimes it takes a while you know sometimes we, we get a dog in and you know, I, I have some information about the animal and then I evaluate them when we, you know, it intake when we, we pick the animal up. And so, um, but when they get to, normally we actually see the dog do significantly better at our shelter. Um, so, so we have those really nice um, kennels where, you know, it's not open. They can't hear the other animals or if they can, it's very muted. It's all indoors. It's got that nice plexiglass front so they're not dealing with the the sound of the kettle so most dogs really really quickly as soon as they're in our environment which is designed to allow them to decompress do much better but um you know i might check in on them once and i'll give them 20 24 hours or so to settle in um and then i'll visit them again 
and it's just moving kind of slowly. And, you know, we, we give the dogs about four or five days before they move to the adoption floor and longer if they need it so that they can just be away from the other dogs and the volunteers and, you know, aside from essential staff, um, mostly just our, you know, kennel worker or two and our behavior staff. So it's all about just moving slowly. And once they open up, it's, it's really pretty tremendous. It, it, it really is neat, um, but, it, but it takes some time. And, and that's, you just got to be able to give them the chance. Do you, do you subscribe or find that the whole rule of threes to be useful? Yeah, we like that a lot. Okay, so, so, for, so for those that don't know, the rule of threes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's three days to basically settle in or disconnect from whatever their last environment was three weeks to settle into a home in its new environment and three months to be fully comfortable with friends and family. Is that accurate? accurate. Yeah, give or take, uh, you know, a month or two or a sure. week or yeah, two yeah, yeah, yeah. the dog. But, Guidelines. But yeah, that's the general idea. And, Guidelines. Uh, yeah, and, and we, you know, we really, it is so important. I mean, we, and we always get the one that doesn't follow our advice. We had a, a dog, a very excitable German Shepherd that went out to uh, a home or, you know, instead of taking the dog home and, and getting them acquainted with the home and letting them just have some time to get used to things, they took the dog to the taqueria. And uh, one bite <laughs> to the hand later, the dog wasn't biting the hand. It was trying to get the burrito. It did get the burrito at the taqueria. It's this giant, untrained, nine-month-old Germ black German Shepherd puppy. Um, it was a great dog. I was working on some some disc work, and he was, you know, he moved from the rolls to he was finally catching them. And I thought we were doing great, but he caught a burrito too, and then the guy's hand a little bit. Um, and so, you know, we have people who do disregard our advice and, you know, that dog, oh God, I think I sent you that picture, Leanne. It was this pinprick of a, and it yeah, almost yeah, was it, a scrape. Yeah. It was stupid. It looked like a, somebody took a push pen and, and put it into their little pointer finger, but the dog had to go on a 10 day quarantine, um, a bite quarantine because it did break skin. So we do have to be very, very careful, you know, especially. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. But, you know, especially with our dog. That dog wasn't very shy. It was the complete opposite. <laughs> but those dogs are, are in, in a way, even harder to place, honestly. The dogs that I like to see, the dogs that I like to work with, the dogs that are high drive and they're motivated and they're fun and they're loose and they're wiggly, we have a harder time placing those dogs than we do these, these dogs that, that I would consider to have some severe socialization issues, believe it or not. Well, okay. that doesn't well, surprise me at all, though, because people love the feeling of rescuing something that's sad and broken and scared and taking care of it versus that, you know, outgoing, wiggly, excited, exuberant, come on, let's go, what are we going to do kind of dog. Well, that's not well, rescue. The one that would be successful <laughs> yeah. in, in your home. Yeah. Whereas then somebody like me goes to the shelter and sees the Aussie that is smiling and barking and therefore looks like it's snarling, growling and, you know, ready to come through the plexiglass. And I go, I want that one. <laughs> I want the one water skiing. And that's how I ended up. That's how I ended up with my first Aussie. I'm like, because nobody else is going to look at that dog and think, oh, that's what I want to take home. <laughs> 
and so I knew that she would get passed over and passed over and passed over. So yeah, I was like, yeah, the one that looks like Cujo, take that one out. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you wouldn't believe it. You know, I get so excited. Well, this would be a great agility, you know, uh, prospect or, you know, this or that or, oh, you can have so much fun doing this sport or that sport. They want that, that dog in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> they want a house they plant, a house with, plant hair. with hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, and that that's the problem. I've had that actually happen um, with dogs that come through the clinic. And it's these quiet, laid back, gently social dogs, you know, the kind that kind of do that little half wag and wander oh, yeah, up yeah, to you yeah. and mm-hmm. lay their head in your lap. And they're like, yeah. they're not, you know, they're yeah. just happy to be in your presence. Thank you for the attention you might throw my way. I'm fine if you don't, though. It's cool. I'm like, those are the dogs that 98% of the people that go to the shelter should go home with. These dogs that are just going to walk in the house and look around and go food bowl, water bowl, door. All right. Find a spot, lay down, and that's it. Like, that's, that's what most people should go home with. And what happens is they go in there and they find, like, you know, this cool-looking Catahoula Husky mix and go, that one's cool-looking. I want to bring that one home. (laughs) The dog who spent eight years in shelters because it can't be fenced. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and the first question you ask is, do you have cats? And they go, yes, but it loves dogs. Oh, well, um... Yeah, this dog is going to love your cat, all right. No. Oh. So... So Maggie, what do you find? Um, I mean, I don't know how much you are involved in the adoption aspect of this because I know that you send home, um, kind of after you know, uh, the behavior plan. You send it home with people if, if the dog needs continued work. Do you find that adopters kind of go in with their eyes open? Do you think they? Do you think they know what they're getting into? Do they? I mean, I. You wouldn't believe it. They pick a dog on the website. They say, that one looks cute. And then they come in and I say, this one needs this and this and this and this and this. And so that's the one I fell in love with. That's the one I want. Um, And it's a mess. I mean, it's, you wouldn't believe these people who are just love struck by that, that photograph or they, they see that dog and it looks cute or whatever. Um, or, Or people will come in and will say, what are you looking for? And they, they won't describe a, a personality. They'll describe a oh, look, look or yeah. a breed or, um, and then that's tough. And a lot of what we deal with are families and, and people who've never owned an animal before. Oh, yikes. So, um, you know, and we're a real at-risk shelter. And so we do send people away. Um, and we, we, you know, make sure we, we are... We are very strict on who is placed with who. Uh, it doesn't always go the way that we're hoping, but we, we really do take a lot of consideration. And so my involvement would typically be like a pre-adoption counseling. So I might take the dog out. Maybe we'll walk the dog around together. I'll show them what we've been working on. I'll kind of go over what we, we suspect the challenges might be or what they will be if we already have an idea if they've been in a foster home and we've gotten a, a report on their behavior in the home. And, you know, it's, we make sure that, you know, the, the, the apartment dogs go to the apartments and the dogs who really need that yard, you know, have that yard. But it's tough. It's yeah, tough. I can't, I can't imagine. So, um <clears throat> 
So do you, do you offer like after adoption, uh, like, you know, do they go home with a tote, like a, see, I know that if I ever did, if I ever owned an adoption agency, I, people would go home with war and peace written down and they just start weeping because I'd be like, you are going to be doing assignments and I expect to have reports <laughs> because it is a big deal. And I think it's, I think that, especially if you're getting dogs from a situation like, like your shelter, where these aren't just the happy go lucky golden retriever puppies that, you know, somebody's oops litter. These are dogs who've, who've have some faced some challenges. And so what kind of aftercare, if any, do you guys offer? Are you sending out, you know, boatloads of business cards and saying, look, this, your dog needs X, Y, Z, or, and, and I mean, can you follow up with that? I mean, we are. Yeah. So we, right now with, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, it, it's full support. It's a high level support from our behavior team. So they're getting, you know, video calls and they're getting, um, personalized behavior plans and you know a step-by-step of here's how this will if they want it or if they need it Um, but all of our animals so our shelter is not currently operating from you know I mean aside from today I I had to do um, you know go to a a partner shelter and intake this dog but um, we're pretty much doing going directly from um, you know, when we pull the dog from the shelter right into foster, and that's typically not the case. Uh, we would typically reserve our fosters for dogs who we, we maybe wanted, um, you know, to have a break from the shelter or we wanted to have a feel for, for how they're doing in a home. Um, so, so right now they're all in foster. I mean, we've got something like over 100 pets. So I think it started over 200 pets in foster. And so my job, so I'm already providing behavioral support for each one of those fosters. And luckily, our foster team is all about it, which keeps me really, really busy, as you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's it's nonstop. Um, But it's great. So a lot of these pets already have this really detailed behavior plan already in place. Um, And I already, they already, you know, the, the, um, the fosters have been working pretty diligently with the the dogs and so a lot of them have a decent training base by the time they make it into the the new home so that's that's been really really nice actually but that was a a big topic of our our meeting this week is well when we start increasing our intake and we have more animals in the shelter how can we continue this high level of support Um, because that's really what's going to keep them in the home and our return rates have been super low. We haven't had a lot of foster swaps, which has been the whole idea. I mean, we want the dog to, to do well in the home and to stay in the home, but we want to keep our staff safe too. What we don't want is a lot of foster swaps where people are having to come in and they're coming in with all that bedding and the leash that people oh, have yeah, handled. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we're, we're passing that on. I mean, we're handling it, we wash it or we throw it away. And then it, the dog goes to another home and, and we're, you know, I think at first we were bathing the dogs in between, and that was highly stressful for them because we weren't sure, you know, we just weren't sure of the risk and if we needed to um, be extra safe by, by providing those baths. I, I think the, um, the advice nationally is that we don't need to bathe in between foster swaps or, you know, from foster to, to adopt home. So we're not doing that, but, I mean, it was a... 
I <laughs> write the process. So, you know, our goal is to, to make sure that they're very successful in their foster or adoption home to keep us safe. You know, I mean, it's great for the dogs as well. Uh, we want them to be successful, but we want to keep our staff um, as low contact as, as possible. Um, and I want to continue it, but it's going to be a real challenge. And we're kind of trying to set that bar uh, for, for what other shelters should, should be offering. Mm -hmm. And that is that high level of foster and adoption support. Um, but yeah, they, they come home with all kinds of stuff. We give them enrichment toys and a week's worth of dry and wet food. They go home with a clicker. They go home with a training plan. They even go home with a, uh, a sheet with all of the hand signals and cues that they've learned. Oh, nice. And then they get their behavior report too. So all of our dogs come with usually a minimum of a few basic cues. So they all usually have sit, down, touch. They've got a clicker or a marker word or both. Um, they usually have stand. Um, and usually, you know, we, I, I try to teach a trick or two. So, you know, I, I try to you pick tricks for the individual dog. Um, but at very least, they come home with a couple of cues, sit and touch or something like that. So. Do you have, Maggie, do you have a minimum time that you um, try to keep the dogs in the shelter to kind of establish, you know, certain basic behaviors before they go into um, a, a permanent home, an adoptive home? question um so the the minimum amount of time is is to get them out as soon as possible okay, um, okay. behavior starts to deteriorate after a week even in our shelter and you know i mean just recently i don't know if you guys have been following the uh the maddie's fun uh shelter studies on cortisol levels um but they were testing dogs from the shelter environment to the home um and they were finding that these cortisol levels would be highly elevated and then um, after going to foster for 24 hours and then uh, testing there, these cortisol levels were dropping to near normal. And what was interesting really? is, really? yeah, and, and what's crazy is you'd think absolutely with city shelters, you would understand that because they're loud. They think it has to do with maybe the dogs not able to sleep well. So the, the environment is so loud, they aren't able to get the rest they need, which is increasing the cortisol levels. So it has to do with rest. But... Some of these shelters that participated, Best Friends in Utah, for oh, example, yeah. have a rock star team. I've worked with people that have worked in Best Friends. They have an awesome volunteer network. They have an amazing behavior team, animal care team. And these dogs were still presenting with these high cortisol levels, and they were dropping to near normal levels in a home. So the shelter environment is traumatic, you know, no matter how you... You, you want to swing it, you know, whatever we can offer. And I, I offer all kinds of stuff. We're doing physical therapy and all types of enrichment. We're doing freestyle sessions. And, I mean, you name it, I'm adding it in there. Um, you know, it's, it's a very fun environment. We make sure the pets are as happy as we can be and that we are fully staffed um, with an amazing behavior team. But it, it's still not enough. And they need to be in a home. So, see, And that's interesting because I've always wondered when I see these dogs – in a foster home, you know, especially if they've been there, not necessarily long term, but, you know, more than two weeks. Um, I've always wondered, like, is it is it more stressful to bounce them around from, you know, previous home to shelter to foster home to next home? Like, does does each successive change take them longer to settle in? Um, so that's interesting to know that they they obviously and quantifiably do better in a foster home situation. 
Oh, Emily, that's the million dollar question, um, because do they really? And that's we're actually one of the uh, shelters that are participating in the next uh, level of that Maddie's fund is because, you know, OK, so they do great with a 24 or a 48 hour away from the shelter, you know, a, an overnight, a sleepover. But do they do well with, you know, two weeks and then they go to, you know, from foster to adoptive home? And previously it was thought, no. You know, I mean, studies show that the, the increase of separation anxiety goes up. I mean, behavioral issues increase the number of homes these animals have. Um, so, so really, we, we've just got it. And, and what does cortisol really tell us? Yeah. You know, is this really indicative of, um, you know, God, <laughs> there's a lot of questions there. Hopefully, as we continue some of these studies, we'll have more answers. What we do know is at least, you know, 24 to 48 hour breaks from the shelter are absolutely more beneficial than um, continuous time. That's fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so okay, just to revisit the, the Maddie's fun thing, because um, I know that you talked about, you were, you were doing a, a webinar on this or a, a talk, one of those fancy talks that you get to have that no one else gets to have because you're cool. Um that I'm not jealous about at all, not at all, um, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, so, so walk me through this again. So we know cortisol is a stress hormone. That's what it is just for the one listener that we have who may not know who that, what that is. And, <laughs> and that's a stress hormone and that's commonly measured, uh, utilized as a correlation with stress. Uh, they use it for studies of training methods and blah, 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 blah. So the dogs, cortisol level is x in the shelter situation if the dog goes away to uh, another home for 24 hours it lowers in that new home and but then are you taking it back to the shelter is it so is it yes so worse? as soon as they are back in the shelter and it, it can take as soon as just a couple of hours mm -hmm. they are near back to those elevated levels okay that's what so I was almost saying. immediately yeah, it is a very temporary stress reduction. And I would wonder if it'd actually be worse because now they know how horrible. I mean, it, it'd probably be like being recidivism in jail. Is you know, the first time you're in jail, it might be like, oh, what is this? And the second time you're like, oh, this is this is shit. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be here. So it might be, you know, I just wonder if it's worse every time because the dog's like, well, I got the taste of the good life, and now I'm back in prison again. And it was almost, you know, like when you offer a dog a really amazing treat and then you say, here's some kibble. And they're like, um, I can do the math. That's crap. It's a good, it's a valid theory. I mean, it really is. I mean, typically when we have overnights, we see the animals progress. So, so typically we see the dog's confidence level, you know, boosted. They feel rested. They're, um, they, they usually come back um, doing much better than they, when they left. So we do nice. see improvement on these overnights. So we just launched a, a, like a, what are we calling it? Doggy day out program. And I think, uh, I think Maddie's fund will be studying this and the, the effect of cortisol levels on just the, the half a day outing. So, you know, people can come in and check out a dog to, to go for a hike or, you know, to go to a park. So they're, they're learning to ride in a car and meet new people and, experience you know new sensations and new substrates you know maybe they go for that hike or you know they're on the grassy you know at the grassy park so it's um i don't know it'll be interesting to see as we learn more but i, I can't really say if it's it's beneficial or not until i really see 
see some more evidence. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's especially in private practice. I mean, we just, uh, you know, we, we don't have to see a study in front of us to see that the, the amount of, of homes equates to the, you know, this, I mean, we, we see a correlation. So, yeah, yeah. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. So going back to your to your foster homes, because it sounds like those folks have to be have a fairly decent skill set to handle some of these dogs and, and the and the programs that you're sending them home with. So what, what kind of training are you, are you giving to the foster, to the people who are doing fostering? Cause right now we know with, with the disease, everybody and their brother is fostering. And we know that all the shelters, thankfully were able to pretty much empty out their dogs for the ability of staff not to have to clump together and, and risk themselves. So, I mean, I know that's a nationwide thing is people were able to empty out these shelters and get dogs into foster care, which is, freaking amazing so in the case of your fosters i'm assuming that they're not paid um that they're they're all uh doing it out of the kindness of their hearts there's a word for that i can't remember what it was um not employed it, it, what what kind of training do they receive do they receive kind of continuing education as they go i mean how does how does that work so we are really fortunate to live in the bay area um and so there are many 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 more trainers uh, significantly more talented than myself and many of them are volunteering so um you know for our, our behavior cases animals that we're really worried about uh we have this the special set um of of professional trainers we have um you know zoo workers who train in you know a zoo setting oh, cool. so yeah, we, we have like a, a whole list of, of super, super experienced fosters who, um, you know, who, who may do a better job than us in the shelter, really. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we have a few trainers, well, quite a few that are volunteering. And then we have our, our fosters. We've been around since 1965. So we have a lot of these people who, who have a lot of dog experience and they've been fostering forever. Though sometimes those aren't the best. Is sometimes they, you know, the longer they've been fostering, the <laughs> the, the harder they are to coach. I was gonna bet. I was about to ask that <laughs> because because that's a different because because that was gonna kind of lead me into my next question because my understanding is that your the kind of philosophy of where you are is uh, force free or positive only or whatever we want to call that methodology and obviously if people have been working with you not since the 60s but you know since the 80s or 70s um, there are different training modalities that were occurring then and so does everybody have to kind of be in in some level of lockstep for this and how does how does that how does that work so um, for a lot of our fosters and um, for our employees but for our fosters too we, we try to provide quite a bit of continuing education um, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll coach them on force-free, and that, that is especially important in the shelter environment with the pets that uh, we work with. You know, we, we really want to give them the best head start possible, and that's not something that we will even want to, to even approach at that stage. Um, you know, it's just getting them to, to decompress and get used to a new environment. I mean, we're not even really focusing on, on training at that point when they're in the, the new foster home. So it's, um, yeah, gosh, I, I'll give you an example. So we have this litter of puppies and we have a very experienced foster who is, you know, she, she, 
She is 100% a, I, I, I would call her a positive trainer because she's a foster. She's not a trainer, but she's been fostering litters of puppies for years. Um, and I got an email saying that a couple of the puppies were attacking her, in her, in her words. So the, the puppies were attacking her. And this pup, this, this litter was born in a foster home. Um, and then unfortunately, and I wish we were a bit more progressive on this and we're working on it, but and, and this is very common in shelter, animals are separated before eight weeks for mom. It's astonishing. I just can't yeah, believe that. Yeah, it, it really is. And this, this is one of those cases where they were. Um, and I, I talked to the foster, I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, they're, they're really playing rough. I wanted to check with you because I've never really felt like I needed to. Um, but I remember from years ago, the technique was that you were supposed to hold that puppy down on their back until oh. they stopped struggling. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, but, 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 major gold star, major props for having the conversation first before actually doing it. I completely agree, Emily. I was, I, she said, oh, I, you know, and I told her, you know, well, yeah, you know, that, that's something we don't recommend. You know, I, I give her the advice. And, and she was, oh, God, she meant well. She felt awful. She, I'm so sorry. I hope I haven't ruined them for life. And what I wanted to say was, well, maybe there is evidence <laughs> to say that that is the case. But I didn't because she was sweet as can be. And so I just tried to, you know, just don't do it again. And let me show you how to do that instead. But these dogs, um, and she only did it a few times with each of the puppies, um, but this litter we're having a, a considerable um, challenge with. Um, so so that, that's an example there of a, a, a very well-meaning foster, a very experienced foster. I mean, if you look at her, her file, I mean, she's maybe fostered, God, you know, at least 50 or 60 litters. Oh, I mean, wow, wow. Probably a lot more. Um, and that's just with us. And... Um, so she does have a lot of experience, um, but, uh, but yeah, obviously we've, we've missed something. And so our goal is to, what we're going to start doing, we're planning a, a puppy socialization webinar right now. We require our fosters to review and watch, and then we're going to start sending home uh, puppy socialization kits. So, and I think it might have been Yulia. So, our, we were talking about, well, what if we just send them home with a, a puppy puppy culture uh, yeah. DVD? Yeah. And yeah. My, yeah. My, team, yeah. my team laughed at me when I suggested that. And they said, do you have a DVD player? Okay, but they do have, they do have live feed. Yeah, no, they yeah. have like, they have live feed where you can just log in and watch it online. We talked about that. Um, so I'm, I'm super old and I, I didn't realize it wouldn't be as easy as just sending them home with a, a DVD for the, you know, DVD player that no one has anymore. Whatever. I've, I have the puppy culture DVD. You know where I play it? In my computer. That's where I play it. Okay, mine, do, mine doesn't either. Yeah, mine it's, doesn't an, either. It's, it's an, an external, external like, like drive oh, I have to attach to my lap hat, <laughs> laptop. But. See, I know so little, I don't even know that that's a thing you can get. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So, so yeah, we're, our goal is to provide more online resources because I think we, you know, it's, it's not just about giving them the tools on, on what to do, but it's also what not to do. And, and even though it seems common sense, I mean, the same litter of puppies, I, I, I got an uh, email from a frantic adopter, and we did a Zoom call, 
and I was expecting the worst. I mean, I was thinking neurological disorder because they kept saying that the uh, the puppy would be, you know, familiar with the water dish, and then they'd refill it and they'd set it down, and then the this, this same litter, by the way, the alpha, the alpha roll, the alpha roll litter. Um, you know, they set the water dish down, and the puppy would attack it, and then new toys it would attack it, and then it would play, but then they put it away and they present it again, and the puppy would attack them or anything around it when the toy was presented. And I thought, oh my God, this just sounds like a nightmare. I don't know what's going on. I got medical involved, um, but I still hadn't seen the behavior. And you'll, you'll love this, Leanne. So they, they get the toy, and you've probably seen that. It's that blue bone that you can put water in and freeze, that, that puppy teething toy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like high value at all, you yeah. know. And I could see the puppy maybe could be afraid. It's bigger. The puppy is smaller, so it's a, it's a decent size toy um so they had it frozen and they presented it to the puppy and the puppy started to play about mouth open <laughs> just so excited you know rah, 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 and it, you know bit the toy and it threw it up in the air and it backed up and, and i said and they said this this is it oh this is why we took the puppy to the er oh no yeah yeah and and, and they literally didn't know what a play bout was Oh. I just have never seen. Uh, we are trying to to take that puppy. It's just they're they're not the quite the home. No. <laughs> uh, for this I puppy, then so. yeah. there's what you know. Sometimes that happens. They lied on the application. They said that they had a lot of larger dog experience, but you can't. T I don't think they'd ever seen a dog before. I mean, there is absolutely oh. there was no way you could misinterpret this behavior. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine it in my, yeah, I can imagine it in my mind, this cute little puppy bouncing and playing and flinging things in the air, and yeah. Pulling the play bow, you know, butts in the air, the, the paws are, the front feet are on the ground, just, just totally having a blast. You know what that reminds me of, though, Leanne? It reminds me of the number of dogs that come rushed into vet hospitals because they're um, having difficulty breathing and gasping for air. And the dog comes in all wiggly and happy and like, hey, what's going on? And then they start reverse sneezing and the owner's like, oh, it's yeah. dying. Yeah, it's dying. It's dying. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, on the one hand, you, you kind of want to be like, oh, for goodness sakes, could you please learn about this animal before you be you know, become responsible for it. And on the other hand, you're like, good news. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I have solved your dog's problem. It's like the number of people who come in to identify some mystery tick that they think they found and it's a nipple. Mm, yeah. 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 And they're like, oh, I tried pulling it off and it won't come off. And there's this red, red nipple on the dog. And you're like, it's a nipple. And they're like, and the best is. But it's, like, a it's a boy. <laughs> it's a male. <laughs> and you're like, Oh my God, get married. Or I don't know. Don't you have brothers? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the horror. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, the stories. <laughs> and I, I try I try to give a lot of grace because I am certain yes. without yes. a doubt that I have walked into a mechanic and said something equally as ridiculous to them, thinking that it was a serious problem. So I do try to have some grace, but after yes. 26 years there's there's <laughs> it's hard it's funny it gets it's, funny it's hard yes <laughs> uh, so maggie so the next question i guess we're gonna ask because we kind of go through this with everybody because this is a big deal 
uh, you need to tell us about your dogs that you live with currently um, and tell us the names and what they are and how you ended up with them. Uh, so I have two dogs. I have Ralph the Afghan, who we've had since eight weeks. And then we have Bob the Ozawak, who uh, is our rescue. And we took him in, I think, I want to say he was eight or nine months old. So uh, Ralph is a dingbat. You've met, you've met <laughs> Ralph. She, Leanne has stories about Ralph. Yeah, I do. Yeah. He was the first... He was he was the first puppy I ever flunked out of my puppy one of my puppy classes. <laughs> but he was happy. I wasn't as successful as I thought he was. An Afghan hand is still an Afghan hand. So uh, but I have Ralph and then I have Bob and, and Bob was on his third rabies uh, bite quarantine. Um, well we got him and he he was quite aggressive, um, oh and so the, the Ozawak Rescue contacted us, and uh, they knew we had the business, and they, I was interested in one. The ex-husband took the, the other one, and, you know, I, I missed having, having an Ozawak. I, I really do like the breed, um, and I uh, <laughs> ended up with Bob, and I really... <laughs> I don't know. Um, I didn't think we could even get him in the car. I went to go pick him up. And we probably went through like three packs of hot dogs and he'd like, you know, choke, choke down the hot dog and then, you know, growl and lunge and try to go after us. It was a nightmare. Um, and I getting him in the back seat was just terrifying. We didn't even have a crate. In the back seat was all. I, I, I almost just laughed. Uh, but we took him and, and he's actually, he's wonderful. He's very, very intelligent. Yeah, and he's, he's cool. So for everybody busy Googling an Ozawak, could you tell everybody what, what that, the hell that is? African Sighthound. <laughs> it looks like a Greyhound with a dachshund head. I'm so I glad you it. asked yeah. because I was going to be like, like uh, uh, that, one's that one's new, new to me. me. Yeah, but it, it's an interesting one because it's a livestock guardian um, dog. So oh, wow. it's, it's very unique um, for a Sighthound. And it has many of those livestock guardian uh, traits, and they also use it for protection. So awesome. the dog, you know, they're, um, they're found in the Torig tribe in, in Mali, and they're, you know, a nomadic nation that's often at war. And so they, you know, use these animals uh, to go after neighboring tribes, <laughs> people yeah, that... Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, the are, there, are there <laughs> many of them wandering, wandering about, about the Bay Area? Area or or like, 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 I think like, there's like 250 in the U.S. So and you've, and you've come across two in your life. Yeah, I've had two in my life, yeah. yeah that, I think you I should think buy you a lotto ticket, because those odds are... No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they well, are. He is, he is, I call he him the call alien. He looks like an alien. He does. kind of creepy. He looks like he should have giant bat wings. Yeah. I really need I really to find a picture of this now. How is it spelled? Oh, yeah. Uh, A-Z-A-W-A-K-H. Yeah, you had no chance on that. I didn't. <laughs> but at least now I know. What the holy? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and mine is quite fancy. It comes from Polish world champions. Ooh. It looks like... <laughs> It looks like a child's drawing of a greyhound. Like, if you showed a greyhound picture to, like, a seven-year-old and said, can you draw this? Like, the legs are a little too long. The tail is a little too long. The head is a little too small. 
Yeah. This is fantastic. This is a great, great source of energy. Holy. <laughs> and that dog has a sit pretty that beats out any of Leanne's border collies, I bet you. It's like, like wait, yeah. wait, yeah. I keep I scrolling through pictures, pictures and every version I come across, I'm like, that's not right. Like the border collie of the sighthound world. They're, they're very, people use them, you know, they're, there's a... Um, you can train oh, what do they call that? What's that agility team? The oh, they're Canadian. They have that. It's like the rock star team. They do a lot of. They have one of the, them on uh, that team, and then they um, they're really big in freestyle. Really? No Some way. people way. use them with really? rally, but they're they're bigger in freestyle. There's a freestyle judge, and I forget her name. That has four of them. They look like they would be more like a fly ball thing, where they just take all four jumps in one leap. Because I I swear to God, they're. Their legs, are they like six and a half feet tall? Because they look like their legs. Fast. Yeah, I did fly ball with my first one. I actually so, went to a fly ball tournament, ball tournament where, where, so, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's what? what? There's, there's typically four jumps, jumps, right? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, but I didn't compete. We did some classes. I guess I should clarify. Yeah, the well, I did classes. We didn't get to the point where we were competing, but. I went to a tournament years ago where it was a greyhound or a greyhound mix. And they they did it in two jumps. They took two jumps in one stride. Oh wow! And I'm sh I was gonna say I think that they've adjusted the rules since then. But at the time, it was I was like, ah, uh, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And I remember being told, oh, there's nothing against it. They're gorgeous. Like they're weird, but their heads are really, really pretty. He's a pretty dog. I mean, anytime, and I, I gosh, it kind of makes me feel bad. I, mean, I guess <laughs> Ralph looks a little raggedy. I don't know. But, you know, anytime I'm out with Ralph, nobody says a damn thing. But when I'm out with Bob, people pull over and, what a wonderful dog. What a beautiful dog. Of course, he's the reactive one. You're like, please don't come near this dog. <laughs> he's a wolf. Stay away. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, so, but you know, he is, he is absolutely stunning. Um, and the home that he went to, um, the, the breeder was a, um, uh, he's a Pomeranian judge. And he had just gotten into Ozawak, and this dog went to one of the, the Pomeranian show homes. So um, they were just very so ill-equipped. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> very ill-equipped. Um, they're very suspicious of strangers. They... I, mean, I remember the first dog show I brought the previous one to. I mean, people would just scatter. You know, they knew what it was for those who did, and they would gasp, and they would run away. I mean, they have a very poor, they do. They have a horrible reputation in the dog training world because um, they are highly aggressive dogs. It's so funny because I, for all two listeners that we have, well, probably three because at least one of each of our parents are listening or something. Yes, yes. Um, if you Google it, you are not going to think highly aggressive. You're going to think delicate and sweet yeah, and like rhinestone snap. collars yes. and floofy, pretty, fluffy beds. And you are not going to think aggressive. However, if you put those legs with <laughs> a livestock guardian temperament, you realize that that dog can cross six acres and fuck you up in <laughs> 0.2 seconds. Like... It's going to happen. It's going to happen fast, and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, that's why we didn't get our puppy star, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and your trainer was a real jerk. I wasn't the trainer for that. 
Oh, 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 that was the, that was the Afghan. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, don't throw me under the bus for puppy star. No, no, it wasn't me. (laughs) So we have to, we're going to, we have to end on this, on this note, because this is a great story because so Maggie, Maggie is, um, Maggie's always exploring. She, hers, I think we all gravitate toward different training styles and training different methodologies and what have you. And Maggie kind of loves the newest, shiniest object. And I don't say that derogatively. I say it because it's freaking cool. And so she got the book, and I'm going to fuck this up. Um, Do as I do, do what I do. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah. 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 And we're going to have to put the author's name in the show notes because I, I can't uh, remember. Claudia Fugaza. Fugaza. Okay. Okay. Right. right, Claudia Fugaza. Fugaza. Yeah. And so she got the book on this and is teaching her dogs to do as I do, which is yeah. mimicry. And mm-hmm. so we're going to – I need Maggie to tell the story of when she tried to teach the alien, Bob, the Ozawak, to put his paw on Ralph, the Afghan hound. All right. Well, I, I will preface this by saying that he, he does know this behavior, kind of. He knows two paws on Ralph, so we make poor Ralph. <laughs> you have to feel bad for him. But, um, but, you know, we make Ralph do a stand stay, and then Bob puts both of his paws there, and then he has to stay there, and that cue is called circus dogs, and he has to stay there until he's released. So, um, so I, I didn't think it was really a novel behavior. I mean, we, we've kind of, you know, he has done some that are novel. I'll, I'll demonstrate a behavior, and he'll do it. So he's knocked over a, um, you know, a... a plastic bottle he's you know put a paw up even though he's never been trained to just hold a paw up if you put a hand so he's done some different things where um but when you first start uh the do as i do in the mimicry training usually you start with behaviors that they already know so you you would train a behavior like i don't know sit and they know it very well and then you would um ask them to do it and you'd add your do it or copy or whatever you want to call it, mimic cue and they do it, and then eventually you teach them that that this you kind of fade out that word sit or down or whatever. And you just add do it, and they start to really pay attention to your behavior, and they they mimic it. And we've done really well with our core behaviors, and so I thought I would try out. <laughs> He's really good if you put your paw on you know your hand your paw your, your paw. hand <laughs> on something like you know it's something he has a novel object like a, a chair or something he'll usually because he knows paws up he can do a single paw up or he can do both paws um that he he can mimic that pretty pretty readily that's not a difficult behavior for him so i thought <laughs> that um i could do that with the single paw on ralph or if i could just give him the copy cue and and put my my hand on ralph he would maybe put one paw or both paws without being cued to do the circus dog's cue. Basically, that, that was my, my thought there. So I had Ralph do a stand stay, and I, I had Ralph uh, Bob stay um, and had him, him watch. And he's, he's familiar with this whole thing. You know, he has to sit and he has to stay. He has to watch the behavior, and then he has to copy. So, you know, the, I, I walk over. I tap Ralph's back very lightly, and I walk back. And I release him, and, I, and our cue for this is copy. So I say copy. 
and he looked at me and he looked at Ralph and he looked at me and he looked at Ralph and I was about to just you know cue him to do something it just wasn't looking like it was happening and he was just getting frustrated um, and then he looked at me again and he looked at Ralph and he nailed him he bit him so hard Poor right Ralph. where I touched him just absolutely nailed him and then he went right back to his sit stay and I think he probably did a sit pretty he likes to, he likes to really do a, a spectacular finish and um and he was so pleased oh Ralph is, poor Ralph but yeah yeah, he just nailed it. But it was the exact place where I touched it. So I think he may... Uh, uh, not right now, right now. sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, it could just be he was frustrated. I mean, that, that he could have just been frustrated. But because he was so accurate, <laughs> it's hard to say. You mean if I I'm going to bite him, I should bite him right here. <laughs> okay, good to know. As Ralph calls ASPCA, it's like, excuse me, I need to report the following. <laughs> so what's funny is that exact same behavior later will do. My my little Aussie will do that behavior. Um, and it came about all on her own because she is a, a, a foot tapper. Like she'll take her foot and she'll, she'll, she'll tap your leg. She'll oh, tap yeah, your yeah. foot. That's she'll a, tap your arm. Yeah, like, that's Cody. Please, sir. Please, might, might I have your attention? And the first time she did it was with my, my big old pit bull man, Jack. Um, and they were waiting for a treat. And I was, Jack is old and he's decrepit and he moves like an old and decrepit dog. So I was waiting for him to get to a place where he could get the treat and later got tired of waiting. And she was tapping me, wasn't getting her anywhere. So she reached over and she put her paw over Jack's shoulders and looked at me, and I was like, well, crap. You Gotta just figured that. the way out of that one. <laughs> you had to pay that one. <laughs> I did. I did. And I paid it big. So, yeah. yeah. So, now it's a thing. If she's sitting next to a dog, although, unfortunately, she did learn that her mom, her, her actual, like, birth mom, does not find that trick amusing nor adorable. And <laughs> we'll <please>. tell her. <laughs> Yeah, she's probably been she's probably been taking notes from from um, Ralph. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but. is there anything else that we have to ask, or anything else you'd like to add, Maggie, other than us saying, "Yay, welcome!" Yay. <laughs> oh no, I can't think of anything. Awesome. awesome. Well, well, it was, it was wonderful, wonderful to, to virtually meet you. Thanks. Awesome. Okay, guys. Well, this is another episode, the third of our podcast. I know it's exciting. So we want to thank all of our listeners and uh, see you guys <laughs> next week. See, I said listener. I didn't say listener. I know. I yeah. caught it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Right. We'll thank see you. you. We'll, we'll hear from you multiple times in the future. So... Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.